Good morning, everyone. Uh, today I'm going to read you all two passages. The first one is Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Now let us conceive new creation, humanity, made in our image, fashioned according to our likeness. And let us ground them authority over all the earth, the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky. The domesticated animals and the small creeping creatures on the earth. So God did just that. He created humanity in his image, created them male and female. Then God blessed them and gave them this directive. Be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth. I make you trustees of my state, so it can from my creation and rule over the fish of the sea and birds of the sky and every creature that roams across the earth. The second one is Corinthians chapter 5, verses, 20, verses 17 to 21. I'm saying that anyone who has been joined together with the chosen one is now part of the new creation. For in the chosen one, the old creation has faded away and the new creation has come into being. It is the, it is the greatest spirit himself who has, all, who has done all these through the chosen one. Creator has removed the hostility between human beings and himself, bringing all creations into harmony once again. The Great Spirit has chosen us to represent him in the sacred task of helping others find and walk this path of peacemaking and healing, turning enemies into friends. The Great Spirit was not hiding people's, was holding people's broken ways against them. Instead, he was working in the chosen one to bring all people back into harmony with himself. He has now given us the honor of bringing this message to others. So we now represent the chosen one. It is as creature is speaking through us, calling out for all people to walk the path of being restored back to the great spirit. Jesus, whose name means creator sets free, the one who knew no broken ways, was chosen by the greatest spirit to bear our broken ways so that we would become the ones who, rep who represent his right ways. Thank you. So that was uh, the New Testament uh, reading was from the indigenous uh, translation of the Bible. Um, when I was in Acadia, I was studying out in Nova Scotia at a school called the Acadia Divinity College. There was a professor by the name of Danny Zacharias that I met. And he is uh, um, a professor there whose maternal ancestors are Cree and Anishna Nabi. And he speaks about how we as Christians who are, who are Baptists, how we can respond to this time and, and this day of truth and reconciliation. So let's watch uh, that video together. Brothers and sisters, thank you for joining with us today on this second annual day for truth and reconciliation. For those of you for whom this is your first TRC day, it's a day to remember, to reflect, and indeed to join in lament as we have been doing. Lament for children lost, for communities destroyed, for lands stolen, for acts of cultural genocide. Lament that discrimination was, and in some cases still is, national policy in our country. Now if we take the book of Psalms and we assume that it's a blueprint for the spiritual life of a worshiping community, 
then something surprising emerges because the Psalms are not all tambourines and hosannas. It's simply not just praise. It's also protest. It's questioning, and a large majority of it is lament. There are many more psalms of lament than any other type of psalm. This suggests to me that perhaps we should be spending more time corporately in acts of lament than we normally do. Paul tells us in Romans to weep with those who weep, and the psalms give us language for lament. It gives us permission for lament to be part of our corporate communion with the Creator. As Philip Yancey said, the Psalms are spirituality in every key. The Psalms help us understand that God wants our fellowship with Him and with one another to encompass all the realities of life, the highs and the lows. You see, lament is not about feeling bad, or it's not just about making others feel bad. It's instead joining our voices, joining our hearts and our minds with fellow pilgrims in life's journey who are suffering. It's God's encouragement to flex our empathy muscles. As is so often the case, God's instructions really can be boiled down to the golden rule to treat others how you want to be treated. The flexing of our empathy muscles is hard to do. In fact, I would say that in our modern world of endless news cycles filled with bad news, the practice of empathy is a spiritual practice that the church needs to be intentionally nurturing in our modern world. Think about it. Think about the shock we all felt last year at the finding of the 215 unmarked graves in Kamloops. But many more graves have been found since then. Our shock has lessened. And the news has covered these findings less and less. This annual day in our new national rhythm encourages us, at least once a year, to sit with the reality. As of May 24, 2022, the register has 4,130 confirmed names of children who died while at residential schools. And these are just the confirmed names. There are many more in the unmarked graves, as well as the graves that have not yet been found. Names will likely not be connected with remains. This knowledge sits with the Creator. But if we take just the confirmed names, and if we had decided to be silent for just one second for each child as we've been together, our moment of silence earlier today would have been over an hour long. So let's reflect on truth and reconciliation. Truth and reconciliation. Truth before reconciliation. Yes, I've heard that before, you say. Well, let's hear it again because repetition is good. It makes the heart ponder. You see, we're joining in this service of reflection and remembrance and lament because of the truth of how Canada has treated the Indigenous peoples of these lands, my people. This type of truth truly is cause for lament. We as a country have genocidal skeletons in our closet. The ethos of this country for many, many years was such that discrimination, land theft, and the intentional removal of children from their families for the express purpose of killing the Indian and the child was seen as good. As good! We have to sit with this truth if we have any hope of altering course that evil was seen as good. These evils were perpetrated by those who called themselves Christian. I add this to our lament today, that evil was done in the name of the Christ, my Savior. I am and I will be continued 
to be shocked by the hypocrisy of that. Now all or almost all of you on this call today are from our Baptist family across our nation. So let's go back one more time to those words, truth and reconciliation, because today I want us as a Baptist family to think upon the reality that we need to reconcile with the truth. Now fellow Baptists, hear me, because our reconciliation with the truth needs to continue. Not only do we need to acknowledge our shared reality, that we are part of the systems of oppression as a nation, we've benefited from the injustices against the Indigenous peoples, but we also need to reconcile with the fact that we did play a part. We played a part. There was a Baptist residential school in Whitehorse. Now here's a little recap for those of you for whom this is new news. The church out of which the Whitehorse Residential School is run, as of right now, is owned by the Fellowship Baptist. It sits outside of our particular Baptist family. But the school ran from 1947 to 1962, and the Fellowship Baptists did not exist in that territory until 1965. And here's where it gets a little tricky. We know who started the school, and it was for many years connected with the American Baptists out of Seattle, the Baptist Evangelization Society. But there are still things that are unclear, and it's this lack of clarity that I'm calling us as a Baptist family to get clear on. When did our convention cut ties with the Baptist Evangelization Society? And secondly, was there ever a legal tie between our convention and that American group? Now, I want to be clear. Early in the process of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, our convention showed that we were not legally responsible. Though today, we do lack clarity in exactly how this was proven. But my concern is this. The legal system of the colonial government of Canada is not the one to whom we are ultimately responsible. We need to be entirely truthful. I'm not content to let sleeping dogs lie, and I'm troubled if our primary goal is just to make sure we dodged a financial and legal bullet. What about our moral and ethical obligations before the Creator? I remind you of the words I shared last year from theologian Chris Green. The future is nothing but what we tell or don't tell about the past, and the future will be as good as the telling of our past is truthful. A survivor of the Whitehorse Baptist Residential School has said, and I quote, All these denominations have made a case as to why they aren't responsible for the Whitehorse School. But without someone who takes responsibility, there's no one with whom to reconcile. If we can't be reconciled, how will we heal? And if we who went to the school are not able to heal, how can we pass on healing to our children? End quote. I want this healing for this survivor and for the other survivors and their families and communities. And I want this truth telling for us too. To whatever measure we played a part, we must take responsibility. You see, the CBM, Canadian Baptist Ministries, under the leadership of Terry Smith a number of years ago, gave a beautiful apology, which I was and am proud to align with. A resolution including that apology was endorsed over here on the East Coast. The three bodies of our collective have all done good work in different ways to walk the path of reconciliation. But we've learned more since then. And there are still things that need to come to light. There is yet truth to be found. Truth to be reconciled with. So if we want to do something as a denomination, 
This is something we can and should do. If we do not, I'm afraid that the same accusation of hypocrisy will also fall to us. I'm challenging us as a collective to get full clarity on all of this, not so that we know where the blame should lie, but so that we can aid in the healing of the survivors of that school and walk the path of reconciliation with integrity. I give my thanks to those for whom this research has been ongoing, particularly Jody Sparger. And as I trust that as we bring clarity to all of this and fully own up to our part, this truth will be reflected in how we speak and how we write about it, that we will clarify past statements and walk forward in a good way. So let's circle back to lament. There's something in our Psalms of lament that's fairly consistent. It's something that reminds us that as we lament, we do so with God and indeed alongside all of creation. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 talks about the groaning of creation towards redemption, that final reconciliation of all things to our God. And we as children of God in Romans 8, we also groan as we await final redemption. And then finally in that same chapter, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit himself also joins in these groans. The language of groaning is the language of lament. And I trust in the portrait that the scripture has laid out for us. That when we lament, we are joining ourselves to communities that weep, and that God himself will join with us. Furthermore, both Romans 8 and the Psalms of lament remind us, like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we don't grieve as ones with have no hope. The Psalms of lament always look towards the sunrise, even if there's only a small glimpse. The groaning in Romans 8 looks towards the ultimate redemption of the entire community of creation. This is a servants of remembrance and lament, but it's lament God's way. We don't shy away from the shock and the sadness. We won't forsake the somber moments because they're uncomfortable. And we'll choose to rehearse and remind ourselves of these truths of our collective past even as we continue to learn more. And we will do so because we do it as ones who have hope. We hope in God as our Redeemer. We hope in God as the one who comforts the afflicted. We hope in a God who forgives us as we forgive others, even when the others are ourselves and our predecessors. And we hope because as we take time to be confronted by truth, we enter into solidarity with a proud and resilient peoples, the host nations of this vast and beautiful country that we now, now call Canada. We rejoice in their pride. Even though their lands were taken, their children stolen, and their cultures brought to the breaking point, we celebrate the resurgence of cultural reclamation and the increase of the indigenous population. I'm hopeful because the educational system, at least in my province, introduces students to the local indigenous peoples and their history early on. I'm hopeful because my children in high school all had the option to take indigenous studies as a course. The ethos of this country that enabled and empowered the residential schools is slowly being dismantled and rebuilt into something more beautiful. 
the younger generations not satisfied with resource extraction, unjust laws, unjust practices to make the rich richer, almost always at the expense of the poor and the marginalized and the theft of indigenous land. I want to be faithful. I want us to be faithful. Theologian James Calvin Davis says, quote, to be faithful describes the character of our relationships, not the specific content of our creed, end quote. So let us be found faithful in our relationships, our relationship to our collective past, our relationship with the White Horse Residential School, and our relationship with the local Indigenous peoples. Lord, our hope is in you. Lord, find us faithful. If I could actually have our children come up, we're going to just chat a little bit. So you could come up and sit with me up here. That would be great so I could see your faces and we could chat. Um, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, boys and girls, but when you're playing in the playground and you're just minding your own business and a ball comes and hits you in the head, has that ever happened to you? And then you look around and you're like, who did that? And you don't know and no one says anything? Like, and then it makes you upset, right? Because you don't know who did it and you got hurt. You got bonked in the head. And I'm not trying to say it's the same thing, but it, what, what I watched from that video that was so, um, I think, uh, powerful is that idea that if no one says that it was them that, that hit you with the ball or took those kids away, they have no way, uh, way of finding healing. And to me, that is what's so sad about that story. I mean, I wasn't here when this happened. I wasn't even in this country. I wasn't born in Canada, right? I came from Korea. And so sometimes I felt like, well, it's not my fault that this happened to these people, right? It was someone else's fault. But if we keep passing the blame on, onto somebody else, then our indigenous brothers and sisters will never have a chance to heal. So I was looking into that Baptist um, residential school in Whitehorse because we, we as a church are part of the Baptist uh, denomination. So we're, we're you know, you don't usually see it, but Spring Garden Baptist Church. And so we are part of that history of these children that were taken away from their homes and, and sent to these schools. So here's a picture of that school. It uh, started in 1947. And it started with 16 kids, and then it grew to over 200 kids. And then if you see the next picture, here's a picture of a person who was at that school. His name, and it's up there. You can see it up there, too. Uh, the next picture is a picture of a person named Sweeney Scurvy. He went to the school when he was nine years old. Who's nine years old here? Anyone here nine? Oh, man. Yeah, do you, can you imagine having to leave your home and going to a, sc a school like that without your parents, like if you're taken away? And so he had that experience, and then 
here are some other pictures. And then what happened was they were gathering together after so many years to like remember what happened. And here's a picture of his classmates. And so he was able to write down the names of all the kids that were uh, part of that school. So his friends were, were who were at that school. So um, as part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, so there was a group of adults who decided, we're going to go and see what really happened at these schools. They spent over seven years right, doing research, talking to people to see who threw, I don't want to say, who threw that ball and hit someone on the head, right, who took the kids away from their parents, right? And then after seven years, right, they said, okay, here are 94 things that we can do together as a country to help bring about this healing. And from the 94 calls of action, there were two that were related to churches, so here's one, Action 59, the, it's up there on the screen. It says, we call upon church parties to the settlement agreement to develop ongoing education strategies to ensure that their respective congregation learn about their church's role in colonization, the history and legacy of residential schools, and why apologies to former residential school students, their families, and communities were necessary. So this morning, that's why we're doing this, because we want to align ourselves with what's happening and the call of Action 59. We want to learn and remember what happened and to admit that we as the church, when we wanted to share about Jesus' love, actually did the opposite. And so we want to say sorry. We want to take responsibility so that they can heal. Right? We want them to be friends with us again. We want to be part of the same family. And so this isn't just something that happened like way out there in Whitehorse. Did you know that there's over 70,000 indigenous people that live in Toronto? I think we're the fourth largest city or place in Canada with that many indigenous people. And then we had a residential school, I looked it up, not too far from here in Brant Brantford. Do you know where Brantford is? Anyone know where Brantford is? Yeah, you do, right? It's a little bit, it's towards Hamilton, past Hamilton, towards Niagara Falls. And there was a residential school there uh, from 1885 to 1970. So it wasn't something that just happened far away, but also in Toronto or near Toronto. So what can we do? You know, what can we do together? We learned, we, we could say sorry but we could also pray for them. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to have you go back to your seats, and you'll notice I have, hold on, but let me show you something. You have to look at this first. I have this yellow stone, and so what we're going to do is everyone's going to go back to their seats, and then we're going to take one minute to be silent, and then there will be a picture with those kids and names. And then think of a name that comes to you, and then... What you'll do is after the minute, um, Greg and the team will play a song. You'll come up like we did for communion and grab a stone. Everyone will get a stone and a marker per household. Go back to your seats and then write down a name. Or it could be maybe a picture that reminds you of the indigenous uh, children uh, that were lost and taken away. And then it could be a good reminder for you to pray for them when you're at home, whenever you see the rock right, as a uh, way to pray for healing for them. Okay, so that's what we'll do together. So go back to your seats, and then we'll do that together.
check, check. So what we will do is take a minute of uh, silence to reflect on the names that are seen here, but also of the names, even the unknown names of children who have been uh, lost. And then, um, and then after about a minute of silence, Greg will play and then we'll invite you to come up like we did for communion and then sit back down and then write down the name and then we'll pray together.
If we could have that picture up with the names of the children. And uh, Jesus, we pray for the, our indigenous brothers and sisters who, in your name, we have harmed. And we ask for your forgiveness. Pray for Frank Billy, Elmer Hall, Sonny Hume, Fred Kuat, Norman Bruren, Jack Kodat, and Fred Smith. And we pray for those, for them and their family and their children and their children. And we pray for the, the unmarked graves and the nameless children that have been lost, that you grieve with and over. And Jesus, we pray for, for your presence to be with them, to go with them, that they may know that you love them even in the midst of their pain and of their trauma. And Jesus, help us to be people who can show 
remorse, but also respond with uh, humility that we may learn and, and listen to, to, um, to what they need from us, that we would be quick to listen and slow to speak, and that we would act as uh, you call us to, as they want us to. And, um, yeah, we remember these names and pray for your blessing for them and for their children. In Jesus' name, amen. The word amen just means let it be, uh, so be it. And so as we, as an amen uh, to that prayer uh, and a close to our worship, let's just sing the chorus just one more time. Um, as giving an, an affirmation and an amen um, with our voices and also with our, our lives. 